If you have your Bible, if you could take it and turn with me to Luke, the Gospel of Luke. We'll be looking at chapter 11, verses 5 through 13 this morning. We're in a series on the parables of Jesus and Again, lots of little nuances that we could say in defining a parable, uh, but we have been simply saying that a parable is an earthly story that has a heavenly or spiritual meaning. And in verse 5, Jesus tells us earthly stories about, a, about fatherhood and about friendship in order to teach us something heavenly or teach us something spiritual. This morning, Jesus teaches us about prayer, and he teaches us what God is really like through these stories. And so follow along with me as I read Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. This is the word of the Lord. And he said to them, what, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him, and he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray and ask God to help us through His Spirit this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that You would be with us this morning through Your Spirit. One of the roles of the Spirit is to convince us that we are indeed children of God and help us to experience that uh, in a fresh and real way. And so would you come uh, through your Spirit? Uh, On this day, there's lots of... um, We've come from lots of different places uh, this morning, as we think about Father's Day, some of us, some of us uh, it's a very hard day. Others uh, were delighted and overjoyed. Uh, and so wherever we are, would you meet us? Would you meet us and show us how good and caring that you are? And how good a father that you are to us as your children? Show us that this morning. In Jesus' name, we ask. Amen. The great reformer Martin Luther once wrote a letter to his good friend Philip Melanchthon. And in his letter, listen to what he writes. Unfortunately, I sit here like a fool, hardened in leisure, pray little, 
Do not sigh for the church of God. In short, I should be ardent in spirit, but I am ardent in the flesh, in laziness, in leisure, in sleepiness. Already eight days have passed in which I have written nothing, in which I have not prayed or studied, partly because I am tortured by other burdens. Martin Luther, the great Martin Luther. Can you relate to that at all this morning? I know I sure can. This morning we're going to talk about prayer. And I want you to know right from the beginning this morning, I will be preaching on prayer, but this is not something that I'm very good at. As your pastor, I'm one who struggles often to pray. I'm one who finds prayer very hard. And so please know that as I preach this morning, I am not coming as someone who has it all together in this area of prayer. Maybe this is not true of you this morning, but I would suspect that many of you this morning struggle too. There's lots of reasons why we struggle in prayer. Maybe for you it's like Martin Luther. Maybe you want to pray, you have a desire to pray, you long to pray, but the burdens of the world torture you. Maybe the busyness and distractions of life come and crowd prayer out of your life. Or maybe this morning when you think about prayer, you're like, been there, done that. (laughs) I've prayed. Oh, I've prayed. And now I'm very cynical about prayer. Because I've prayed for a long time, for years, that God would save my child. And he hasn't. I've prayed for years that God would give me a child and bless me and my wife with a child. And he hasn't. I've prayed for many years that God would heal my marriage, and He didn't. I'm single, and I want more than anything to be married. And I've prayed, and I've prayed, and I've prayed, and I'm still single. And the list goes on, doesn't it? And you see, lots of times we come from all over the map in this place, in this topic of prayer. And lots of times you'll hear sermons or read books on prayer and that leaves you feeling more beat up and more discouraged about your prayer life. I don't want to do that this morning. And by the grace of God, I won't. My hope for our time together this morning is that Jesus might just give us something in this passage that would change us. Something that would motivate us to a deeper and richer prayer life, that Jesus might give us something this morning that the Spirit might apply this in such a way, and I believe that He can and He will, that we maybe will move from, I have to, or I know this is something I'm supposed to do because I'm a Christian. Maybe we can move from there to I want to. I get to spend time with my Father. That's my hope for us. Three points this morning. The posture of prayer. The persistence of prayer. And lastly, we'll look at the position of prayer. So posture, persistence, all P's this morning on Father's Day. How about that? And the position of prayer. So let's look at uh, number one, the posture of prayer. 
Look at verses 5 and 6. So here's the parable uh, in a nutshell. Uh, There's this guy, this friend, who goes to his friend's house in the middle of the night. We'll call him the host. And he starts banging on the door. And at first, that sounds odd to us and strange, but it wasn't all that odd because back then, because it was so hot, they would travel at night oftentimes. And so this friend is knocking on the door, and the host opens the door, lets him in, and back then, much like today, uh, you want to provide something for your friend. You want to be a good host. And so you provide a meal or food of some sort. There's only one problem. Look at verse 6. And this is significant, and we'll come back to it. I have nothing. I'm empty. The cupboards are bare. And back then, they didn't have 24-hour convenience stores and quick stops and restaurants and all that sorts of uh, all those sorts of things. Uh, and so you'd have to start knocking. And so he went across the street or a couple of doors down perhaps and he starts knocking on the door of his neighbor, his friend, we see in verse 5, friend, lend me some loaves. Verse 7, notice the response. Quit bothering me. You're waking me up. The door is now shut. I'm asleep. My children are asleep. And I'm not going to get up and give you anything. Don't lose sight. Why is the host knocking on the door in the first place? He has nothing. He's desperate. He's all out. He's needy and empty and has nowhere else to go. Look at verse 8. And this is the key to understanding the parable. At first, his friend doesn't give up, but what? He eventually does. Why? Yet because of his impudence, what does that mean? We don't use that word a lot. Maybe you're not familiar with it. It means shameless. It means a lack of sensitivity to what is appropriate. And so at first, the friend doesn't give up. Get, so translation here, at first he doesn't get up in verse 8. But because of his shamelessness, he rises and gives his friend what he needs. Don't miss this. Why does the friend rise and give the host, his friend, what he needs? Because of he, his shamelessness. Why is the man shameless? He's empty. He's needy. He's desperate. So what? What does this teach us this morning about prayer? Well, very simply, if you want to be a person of prayer, you must become a needy, shameless, desperate beggar. If you want to be a person of prayer. And we get this on some level because all of us have had situations in our life and even if you're here this morning and if you're not a Christian, I would bet that you've had an experience like this where at some point you've cried out to someone for help. And you said, God, if you're out there, even if you don't believe in God, you've had moments like this in your life and experience, and and we've all had them where we come up against our desperation 
and we come up against something in our life that we can't handle. Maybe it's a literal frightening situation where you were afraid for your life. I've had those. You've had those. Maybe it's a job interview or your marriage is falling apart or you're sick or injured or in the hospital or maybe you have a child who is very sick or a loved one. And we've had these situations where all we can do is cry out, God, Lord Jesus, help me. I need help. You ever had that situation where we've cried out like that? Why do you do that? You're empty. You're all out. You have nowhere else to go and nothing else to do. You have nothing. And it's in those moments I want to suggest that you're finally seeing yourself clearly. It's in those moments that you're aware of your neediness. It's in those moments, think about it, and we do this, don't we? That you're not worried about getting it right. You're not worried about saying the right thing and going to God in just the right way. Y'all do this? No, you, you throw all of that out the window in those moments, don't you? And you're the friend banging on the door in the middle of the night saying, Jesus, come, please, help me. Jesus is teaching us here something about prayer. And that is, this is to be our posture every single moment of every day. Not just every now and then when our self-sufficiency fails us. But all of the time, this is who we are. And that is to be our posture in prayer. And now you see why this passage shows us that strength and self-righteousness are actually enemies of prayer. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because a person who is self-sufficient and self-righteous, they think way too highly of themselves, and they're way too self-conscious and concerned with how they look. They're never going to knock on the door of a friend's house in the middle of the night. Why? Pride. They wouldn't want to intrude because it would make them look silly, like a desperate beggar. You see... If that is your posture, yes, you might pray regularly. But I would bet that you struggle with intimacy with God. Because you see, in order to have a vibrant prayer life, you must be shameless. You must be helpless. Think about it. Jesus doesn't say in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who have it all together, and who pray just right, and say just the right thing in just the right way. What does he say? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. Friends, the primary thing we need is not more self-discipline in prayer. That's often what we think. That's not what you need. And over the mountain, Birmingham, you know what we need? We need to get in touch with our poverty. We don't need more classes on prayer. We don't need more techniques and books. We need to learn what it means to become a beggar. Why? Because that's where you meet Jesus. That's where you connect. Think about the parable. What made the man get out of bed? Shamelessness. That's where we meet Jesus. 
and connect with him through prayer. Secondly, persistence in prayer. The point of the parable is not that God's reluctant and he's in bed and he doesn't want to get out and answer you. That's not the point of the parable. The parable, the argument, is from greater, I'm sorry, from lesser to greater. We'll see it again in a moment. In other words, the point of the parable is that uh, if you can ask a friend, a terrible friend, a cranky friend, a grouchy friend, if you can ask them for help, and they'll eventually, it might take a while, but they'll eventually help you in your time of need, then how much more? It's it. That's the argument. How much more should you ask God, your true friend, who never sleeps nor slumbers, but who watches over you day and night? God, the friend who doesn't begrudgingly help you, but willingly and delights in helping you. So what? What does that have to do with your prayer life? Look at verse 9. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. If we were to dig a little deeper here, what you find is that these are present imperatives, which mean that they indicate an ongoing, continual action. And so a literal translation of this would be, keep on asking. Keep on knocking. Keep on seeking. And what Jesus is teaching us is that because God is such a wonderful friend, our prayers need to be tenacious. Our prayers need to be relentless. We need to beat the door down. And we need to be persistent in our prayers. And this is hard for us. It's hard for me. And I think one of the reasons that make it hard for us is that we live in a world of smartphones. And in a world of smartphones, if you don't get an immediate reply, people are upset. Hey, you, why didn't you text me back? It's been an hour. Chill. <laughs> That's the world in which we live. And if we don't get an immediate reply, we quit. And that is very hard in the world of prayer. Because sometimes it takes years or maybe even a lifetime for God to answer prayer. I think it's also hard for us because we live in over-the-mountain Birmingham. And we're self-sufficient, we're achievement-oriented, and um, we're very well educated. And so our knee-jerk reaction, our reflex, is often not prayer but power. You see, we, yes, we might pray once for something. We might even pray twice for something. But then we turn to power and we say, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to pick up the phone. I'll make a couple of phone calls. It's done. And you see, underneath all of that, and underneath that persisting in prayer, you see it? Tie it to, let's tie it to the first point. What have we forgotten? We've lost our posture. We've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten that we're needy beggars. You see, self-sufficient people resort to power. And needy beggars 
persist in prayer. And not only do they persist in prayer, but when they pray, they expect that God's going to answer them. Verse 10, for everyone who asks receives, whoever seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be open to them. And so here's the question a lot of people ask with this verse. Maybe you're asking it this morning. Okay, so this means I can ask God for whatever I want, and as long as I do it persistently, he's going to give it to me. Of course not. God's not a cosmic Santa Claus. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's a loving father. And think about it. He didn't even give his son Jesus everything that he wanted. Remember Jesus in the garden? Take this cup from me. Father, please take this cup from me. Sweating blood. And the father says, no, you will drink this cup all the way to the bottom. I think a helpful way to think about this, these verses and the idea of God answering prayer, is to think about children. You've, if you've got children, if you've, I'm sure you've been around children, you know children are not afraid to ask their parents for things. How often do they ask? Nonstop. Over and over. Can I go to the pool? Can I have dessert? Relentless. How do they ask? Boldly. Shamelessly. They're unafraid. They'll interrupt anything you're doing and pull on your arm and ask you. They're not afraid to intrude. What do they ask for? Anything and everything. Even things that are absurd to you. And that's the picture. Because sometimes they ask for things uh, that are unwise and wouldn't be best for them. But, and you know that. Why? Because you're older, you're wiser. You can see the big picture that they can't see. And so that's why you don't say yes to every single thing that they ask for. You don't give them everything. Why? Because you love them. And you want what is best for them. And it's the exact same thing with God. God is not a genie in a bottle. He is a good and loving Father. And that is the key to understanding verses 9 and 10. We are to pray like children. Relentlessly. Boldly. Not being afraid to interrupt and be persistent. And we are to expect that God will answer each and every one of those prayers all of those prayers, according to his wisdom and kindness and care for us, his children. Some of you this morning are bitter with God because he has not answered your prayer, or you think he has not answered your prayer. Could it be the reason why it's because you've been asking for a scorpion or a snake? Verse 12. And out of love for you, God and love and God's care for you, He has not given it to you. God answers prayers, and those answers to the prayers are always right and they're always good, even when you can't see it. Tim Keller says it this way The Father gives you what you would have asked if you knew everything He knew. Or John Calvin. 
God does not answer our prayers as we pray them, but as we would have prayed them if, we, if they were wiser and we were wiser. Lastly, the position of prayer. Look at verses 11 through 13. So Jesus, remember the context, he's preaching on prayer. He's told them what to pray in the Lord's Prayer earlier in verse 2. And notice he says, when you address God, you come to God and say, our Father. And here he's just expanding on that. On that idea of God being Father. And again, he's using the lesser to the greater argument. He's saying here, if an earthly father would never give his son a snake or a scorpion if they ask for a fish or an egg, how much more? But look at what he says. If you then who are evil, whole nother sermon, but let me make a note. He's talking to the disciples. You who are evil, in case you don't believe the Bible teaches that we're inherently sinful, here's one phrase again. It's everywhere, but it's even right here. Notice he doesn't say you were evil. You who are evil. Again, another sermon. But if you are evil and you'll give your children good gifts, how much more? It's Father's Day, okay? So think about the best earthly father that you can come up with in your mind and in your heart. This passage is saying how much better? How much better is is God the heavenly father who delights in giving good gifts to those who ask him? You want to learn how to pray? You want to know, know the heart of prayer? Look at a father and his children. Why are children relentless in their asking? Why do they ask over and over? Why are they willing to ask for absurd things? Because they feel safe. Because they feel secure. Because they're confident in their parents' love for them. They trust their parents. And maybe this morning you hear that and you say, okay, I get that on an earthly level because we're sinners. But wait a minute, you're saying God's my father and that I can ask him anything and be relentless. How is that possible? God is holy. I am not. Insert the gospel. Insert Jesus. This is where you need Jesus. This is why we pray. I don't stand up here every morning on Sunday, nor do the people leading the service and say, uh, and now I pray in Jason's name, amen. No. Jesus' name. We come in Jesus' name, not our own. Think about it this way. A Praying Life is a book by Paul Miller, a great little book on prayer. And he illustrates it and he says, imagine that your prayers are like a poorly dressed beggar reeking of alcohol and body odor. And you're approaching the king's palace. And you get up to the gate, there's bars on the gate, and the guards stiffen because your smell has preceded you. And you say, you managed to get out a couple of words I'm here to see the king. And the guards say, yeah, right. And they grab you by the arms to escort you away. And you manage to turn and get out just one word, just to whisper, Jesus. Jesus. I come in the name 
of Jesus. And it's in that moment that the palace comes alive and the guards actually bow down to you and say, come on in. And the lights come on, the gates open, you're walking down the hall to the king's chamber and the doors come open in the throne room and the king gets off of the throne and he runs down the hallway as fast as he can to greet you and he throws his arms around you and says, my daughter... My son, welcome. You see, the name of Jesus gives us access, royal access, into the very throne room of God. Friends, Jesus is not simply the Savior of your soul. Yes, of course he is, but he's also the Savior of your prayers. You need the blood of Jesus to cover your prayers. And isn't that really good news? That God is so good that just one more gift. He gives us another gift. A gift of Jesus for our imperfect prayers. Verse 13. I'll close. He ends by saying, How much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's an odd way to end a a section on prayer and it's different than Matthew's account of this where he said how much more will the father give to those who ask he doesn't mention the Holy Spirit but Luke does why well let me read a couple of passages think about the Holy Spirit and his role Galatians chapter 4 Paul says God sends the Spirit to pour God's love into our heart that enables us to cry Abba which is an intimate name, Daddy, which enables us to cry, Abba, Father. Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of our adoption. Romans chapter 5, God has His love has been poured in our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit that has been given to you. Let me say it another way. The work of Jesus, His death and resurrection, secures your adoption. The work of the Holy Spirit deepens your experience of that adoption. The Holy Spirit has other roles, but one of his main roles is to remind you that you are a beloved child of God. Do you need that? I need that. We need that, don't we? Because by 3 o'clock this afternoon, we'll start living like an orphan. When we're actually a child of God. And the Spirit is to make that experience, that truth, that you belong to Jesus as God as His child, to make it real. It's interesting here, another detail. The word ask is a continual action in this passage. That's interesting. Because it means that we need to continually ask for the Spirit's influence to extend in our lives. So that we will stop living as orphans and start living as children of God. Tim Keller again says, who dares to wake the king in the middle of the night? Who dares to enter into the king's presence without being summoned? Only his child. Only his child can do that. Only you if you're a Christian this morning, can do that. What great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God, and that is what we are.
Friends, when that gets inside of you, you will go boldly. You will go audaciously and shamelessly to the throne of grace and you will persist persist in prayer and you will pray not because I've got to, because that's what good Christians do. No. You will pray because you want to. Because you get to spend time with your father and friend. Let's pray. Father, thank you for making us your children. Would you forgive us, forgive me this morning for living like an orphan instead of your child? We're thankful for our adoption this morning. Holy Spirit, make our adoption more real to us through your Spirit and through this table this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.